My name is Christian. And I'm Rob. And this is Faith 168. There are 168 hours in every week. And in those 168 hours, we need Jesus to make it through. So join us every week as we share devotions, talk about standing boldly in the Word of God, and answer tough questions submitted by you, our listeners. Welcome Welcome to to Faith 168. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are tuning in from or whatever time, we thank you for joining us today here at Faith 168. Today we're talking about Good Friday. Of course, uh, uh, if you're listening to this, we we hope that you know and you hope that you're celebrating Good Friday uh, alongside of us, the day that that wasn't so good for our Lord and Savior, the day that um, that he was crucified, that he was uh, beat, that he was mocked, that he was made fun of, that he was stripped, and, and he was he was crucified, and uh, he did that all for us. And so today we're going to learn uh, and talk about and, and maybe um, just give a reminder about how good God is, but not just how good he is, um, how long he's had this planned. And so that's what I'm going to focus on. Uh, for just a minute. But before I do, I just want to uh, introduce our, our co-host, uh, Brother Christian. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Brother Rob. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. And it's so good to uh, uh, to be together to celebrate Good Friday, is it not? Yeah, it's, it's great. I always look forward to Good Friday every year. Uh, it's still strange, though, that I, I look out and see all the kids were out of school today uh, or, or out of school for Good Friday. Uh, so that's exciting to see that that still happens. That gives me a little bit of, of hope Absolutely. Uh, concerning our current predicaments in the United States. But Good Friday is still something we observe. And even if the United States stops observing it, I feel confident that you, my brother, and I will continue to observe Good Absolutely. Friday. Absolutely. And we hope that you, as our listeners, uh, will too. And we know that you will. All right. So we're going to start off here in John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is uh, happens to be right before the Passover fe- festival. Uh, and Jesus and his disciples are together. Um, if you read the accounts of the Gospels, uh, you'll find that it seems like they're, they happen. This Passover meal happens on a different day. But the reason that it seems weird like this for us is because uh, our days start um, at um, twelve o'clock in the morning. Uh, well, for no, the mine starts more at noon, but no, <laughs> right? Yeah, ab- absolutely. But uh, at the earliest, seven o'clock. But, yeah. <laughs> but, no, I don't know about that. <laughs> right? No, I have to get up and get the kids ready and that kind of stuff with with Natalie. But uh, nonetheless, we. We know that our clocks or our our day, our calendar switches at 12 o'clock in the morning. Well, for the disciples and and for the whole whole world, um, or at least for the Israelites, when the sun went down, that was the end of the day. And so they were more literal with their time. When the the sun went down, um, the day was over. And so a new day began. And so the, the reason why this looks different 
in different passages is be, just because we don't understand their days very often. Uh, we don't understand how their days work. But anyways, so this is happening on Friday. So this is the first thing that's going to happen on Good Friday. And the first thing that Jesus does is he washes this, uh, the disciples' feet. And uh, it's amazing uh, to me to think uh, of how impressive and how in, important and significant this is. So the first thing that we have to understand uh, is that um, for the disciples to to have their feet washed would be a, a humiliating thing uh, for the person that would do the washing because uh, for the Jews to wash somebody's feet or to touch somebody's feet, even to touch their, their sandal, uh, would be um, degrading. It would, it would show... Uh, disrespect uh, to the person that was doing it. It was so degrading, in fact, for the Israelites that they had to to do certain things for the for the Romans when they told them to, uh, because uh, like the Roman guards. But when uh, a Roman guard could not ask them um, to to change their shoe or to wash their feet because the Jews saw, thought it was so degrading, and so Jesus is is completely humiliating himself here. Uh, when he washes the disciples' feet. And so I'm going to read just for a minute, and then we'll get dive into it. Uh, this is um, John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come uh, to depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now it was time for supper. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, uh, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside uh, his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around him. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around him. Uh, he came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, uh, or he said, I'm sorry. He said, Lord, uh, yeah, he asked, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you don't realize now, but afterwards you will understand. Then Peter responds, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who uh, has bathed, Jesus told him, does not need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are cleaned, uh, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Uh, this is why he said, not all of you are clean. So what's happening here is Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He's showing himself as a servant uh, not even just a, a, a like a uh, respectable servant, but a, a humiliated servant, he, the lowest of the low. Um, and he did this, of course, because of his love was so great. But then he gets to Peter and Peter's like, what are you doing? Are, are you trying to wash my feet? I can't let you do that. And, and to think about it, uh, you go back to John. When John first sees, now this isn't John the, uh, this isn't John, the apostle, this is John the Baptist, when he first sees Jesus um, coming to be baptized, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of, of the world, uh, in whom I'm unworthy to, to undo the sandal straps, right? And so um, John is saying that 
I'm not even good enough to untie Jesus's shoe, yet Jesus is now stripped his clothes and he is washing the disciples' feet. That's how humiliated he has become. And why is he doing this? He's doing it to show on the outside what has happened on the inside uh, of his disciples. Now, if, if you notice, um, has has Peter already denied Jesus? Not yet, but he's going to. But what did Jesus say? You don't need your whole body washed because you're already clean. And so what we see here is that Jesus uh, Jesus's blood and, and faith in his sacrifice saves past, present, and future. And, and this is so amazing. And I know uh, Brother Christian is going to get into that in just a few moments. But I want to spend a, a few minutes looking at how... Um, how amazing in the in the plan of God before the foundation of the world. This is what Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says. It says, according uh, as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame in his love. So before the foundation of the world, God chose us, but he also knew of our sin. And so what did God do before the foundation of the world? He had to send Jesus. He had to die in order for us to be clean. And so what Jesus is telling the disciples through washing them, even their feet, is that that he is about to humble himself uh, to the greatest point. And, and of course, that, uh, that greatest point is unto death. And then once he does that, then the disciples will be clean. Now, um, at this point, we can see that the disciples are already clean. Why? Because the faith that the disciples had was the, was the same faith that Abraham had. And we learn in, in Romans chapter 3 and 4 and even into 5 that Abraham, because of his faith, was made clean or he was saved or, or made righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, and that all goes back um, and it's beautiful. So the descendants of Abraham go into slavery in Egypt. Um, After they are enslaved for, or after they're in Egypt for about 400 years, uh, there's something that happens. uh, And there's this man named Moses. And I can't get into this uh, a whole lot because I don't have a lot of time. But I want you to see that God loved you so much that he planned out your salvation from the beginning of the world. And so God calls Moses and he says, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go so they can go out into the to the land and they can worship me um, as a nation. And uh, so Pharaoh, Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh won't let the people go. Um, God sends plagues upon Egypt. And after every plague, Moses goes back and, and tries to convince him to let him go again. After let nine plagues, go. Yeah, after after nine plagues, um, Moses. I mean, uh, Pharaoh's uh, heart is is still hardened. And if you read the scripture, you see that Moses hardens his heart for the first few, and then because he uh, because Pharaoh had hardened his heart um, so many times, God then starts to harden uh, Pharaoh's heart, and so. Uh, Moses comes to Pharaoh one last time after talking to God and says that there is going to be uh, one more plague um, if you don't let my people go. And, Mo- and Pharaoh still doesn't let him go. 
And so what happens is the angel of death is going to come upon all the land of Egypt and he's going to kill the firstborn from every house. Uh, however, for the, for the children, for the, the firstborn children of the Israelites, they're going to be saved by the blood of a lamb. And so that's where I'm going to, to start reading in Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, uh, the month is, uh, this month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of the year Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household go, uh, household is too small for a whole animal, the person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the uh, combined number of people. You shall uh, apportion the animal according to what each will eat. Uh, you must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You must take it from either the sheep or the goats. Uh, and so we, we see here that the lamb has to be uh, without blemish. And of course, what has Jesus done? He became a man, and, and from his conception until his death, he never once sinned. We, we can remember when Satan took um, Jesus up, on the uh, the Temple Mount, um, and and up to see the the nations, and and tried to tempt Jesus, and Jesus uh, refused the temptation every single time. He is without blemish, without sin, the fullness uh, of the Godhead bodily. He is perfect in perfection. Uh, he is the perfect completion uh, of the law of Moses. There's only been one person to to do that, and that was Jesus. Um, and so to keep reading here in verse 6, we see that Jesus is represented by this unblemished male uh, sheep or goat. Uh, you are to keep it until the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the, uh, the animals at twilight. And so what, what amazes me is the meal that is about to happen, this, this Passover meal, happens at twilight. Now, uh, if you know uh, much about Twilight. Uh, some people know about it. Some people don't. Uh, I had to look it up to make sure that I was right. I don't know about you. You're not talking <laughs> about like Edward Cullen and uh, you know those guys. No, no, no. Not, <laughs> not not the vampires. So <laughs> Twilight is the time of of day when you can't see the sun in the sky, but the sun is is still lighting up uh, the area around you, uh, and so. Right at the start of the day, when the sun has gone down, but you can still see uh, the light from the sun that, that's that's gone over the horizon, uh, they were to to slaughter the animal. What's amazing to me is when did Jesus do this? When did he start washing the disciples' feet? When did he uh, start eating this meal at twilight? As soon. Uh, as the day had ended and the new day had become uh, had begun, Jesus started his work, and that's exactly what happened on the Passover. Uh, then they must take in verse seven. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintels of the house uh, where they eat them. And so there's a lot more that I want to say about this, and a lot more that we need to say about this, but I just don't have enough time. I'm, I'm taking up all of my brother's time here, but, uh, but oh, what I we see, 
<laughs> right? But what we what we see here is that before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for the salvation of his people. Yes. He had that plan through the Passover. Now, the Passover that happened in Egypt was just a foreshadow. Now, for God, actually, the Passover, uh, because remember, God is eternal. He's not limited by time. Uh, he doesn't live in the same time that, that we do. And so in his eternal state, the Passover in Egypt is actually a shadow of what happened on the cross. Because Christ was crucified in the mind of God before the foundation of the world, this is actually past for God. And so we see that this has already been planned, but it was for his people to be able to see what would happen. And then uh, going on from there, after Jesus um, washes the disciples' feet, they have a supper. They have this dinner. And in this dinner, they take the cup. And in the cup, he raises the cup and he says, take this and as often as you do it, drink it and do it in remembrance of me. He said, this, uh, this blood uh, is the blood uh, of the covenant. Uh, it's it's the, the symbol of the covenant in my blood. And of course, what was uh, put on the doorpost of the Israelites so that they could be saved, so the angel of death would pass over them? It was the blood of the lamb. What is it that we put on our doorpost in order to be saved from our sin? The blood of the perfect lamb. Jesus Christ. Yes. And then he said, take and, uh, and eat this, this bread. And then he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. So we have the body broken and the blood poured out for us. That was all foreshadowed in, um, in the Old Testament through the act of uh, the Passover. And then every year, as you can read in Numbers chapter 9, they were to have a Passover meal after that. Uh, mm -hmm. And so every year they were to have the Passover. And so that's what Jesus was celebrating. And so they go, they celebrate this. Jesus is in, uh, he's establishing a new covenant, a covenant in his broken body and his blood poured out for us. And, and that is the beauty of what happened on Passover uh, on Good Friday, uh, some 2000 years ago, the body and the blood of Jesus was broken and poured out for us. Why? So that if we apply the blood of the lamb on our doorpost, then we will be saved. That the mm -hmm. angel of the second death will pass over us and that we will be children of God. And so that's kind of a backstory on the cross. And now uh, my brother Christian is going to to elaborate on the things of the cross, on what Good Friday meant at the cross of Christ. I talked about what uh, what Good Friday meant at the supper of Christ, but what does it mean, brother Christian, at, at the cross of Christ? Yeah, and another important thing concerning the the Lord's supper is it is just as it is said, the Lord's supper. Uh, the Jews had many festivals, they had many feasts, they had many celebrations that they would have. Yeah. Uh, most of them were just from traditions passed down by their forefathers. But the Lord's Supper in itself 
was instituted by God, a prophecy given by God, yeah, and for the glory of God. That's it was right. never a feast of the Jews. It wasn't a tradition necessarily, even though sometimes it was kind of made into something like that. Yeah. But its whole purpose in being established was to point us to the sacrifice that Christ was going to make on the cross for us. So Good Friday is a necessity, I believe. It's important to celebrate because our horrible sin that we have committed, something horrible had to happen to pay for that sin. And our Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, died on the cross, effectively taking a horrible symbol of death and making it into this beautiful and good symbol of salvation and life. And so here's what happened specifically on Good Friday. And I would warn you somewhat that if maybe there's a child around, uh, there might be a time that you want to talk to them more in depth about what happened on the cross on your own time, I'm going to go ahead and talk about exactly how Jesus died on the cross. And it does seem a little graphic. I'm, I've got it a little fixed up here, so it's not as graphic. But according to the many sources cited uh, through Wikipedia, the length of time required to reach death on the cross could range from hours or days, depending on method, the victim's health, and the environment. A literature review by Maslin and Mitchell identified scholarly support for several possible causes of death. Cardiac rupture, heart failure, hypovolemic shock, acidosis, asphyxia, uh, uh, arrhythmia, and pulmonary embolism. Death could result from any combination of those factors or from other causes, including sepsis following infection due to the wounds caused by the nails or by the scourging that often preceded crucifixion. And you could even dehydrate uh, or even uh, you could be uh, taken out by animals, animal predation. And uh, a theory attributed uh, to this uh by Pierre Barbet is when the whole body weight was supported by the stretched arms, the typical cause of death was asphyxiation. Uh, and, and he wrote that the condemned would have severe difficulty inhaling due to hyperexpansion of the chest muscles and lungs. The condemned would therefore have to draw himself up by the arms which would lead to exhaustion and, and pain uh, and, and muscle tearing and ligament tearing or have his feet supported by tying uh, a, a wood block uh, to, to the feet. Uh, so when the person was no longer able to lift themselves, what would happen? The condemned would probably die within a few minutes of that. And so what we see, the horrible death that Jesus died on the cross was that not only was he mocked by his creation, not only was he rejected by his creation, 
but he went through one of the most horrific deaths to where they completely ripped him apart to where he was almost unrecognizable. They drove nails through his wrist and through his feet, and they hung him up on this cross to where the moment that he sagged down, blood would start rushing into his lungs from internal bleeding, and he would find it hard to breathe. And the only way for him to even get a little bit of momentary relief would be for him to push up on his uh, nail-impaled feet or pull uh, on the nails uh, that are through his wrist, ripping and, and, and tearing at his flesh just to get a breath of fresh air at that time. That is what Jesus went through. We call this Good Friday because of the meaning it has for us. But in all reality, the most horrible thing happened to Jesus so that the most beautiful thing could happen to us. Jesus came into this world in the weakness of the flesh. He succeeded where we failed in being blameless. And he took on this horrific death as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so I want to look at a couple passages and I'll ask brother Rob to give his input as well as we read through these, but these are some great passages to read as we celebrate and meditate through Good Friday. And the first one is the Baptist Creed, I believe. <laughs> and uh, it's John three sixteen. for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so this conversation was between a Pharisee named Nicodemus and Jesus well before his crucifixion. So we know that this was planned before the foundations of the world, that Jesus was going to come to this world and he was going to die in our place to be the payment for our sins. And he consistently tells people throughout the New Testament as he talks to them and converses with them and speaks these parables about how he is going to give his life for us. And that's what he's saying, that he came to this world to be our sacrifice out of love, not out of obligation. He didn't look at us and say, well, I have to die for them because this is uh, a part of my creation or anything like that. You see, we need God for, for ourselves to continue on. We need God for life, but God doesn't need us for life. And so it wasn't out of necessity that he had to come and die for us, but he came to this world in the weakness of the flesh out of love. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son that whoever shall believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Do you have anything to add to that, Brother Rob? Yeah, just just understanding the the complexity of the Trinity. So, um, understanding the Trinity means that we understand that there is one God who reveals himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, who um, we see that the Father loved the world and he sent the Son. We also in that know because Jesus is, is God 
in in the flesh that that he is God uh, the Son. He is the Word, uh, the eternal um, logic of God. He is um, what made all of creation. He came willingly as well. Uh, it's not just the Father made the Son. The Son willingly for the Father and for the world came. Uh, and so we see that, that God loved the world that he sent the Son. The Son came willingly. Now, did Jesus want to die on the cross? No. He, he said, Father, if there be any way other than this, take this cup from me. But not my will be done, thy will be done. In the flesh, Jesus was not looking forward to the pain and the, the torment and the torture of the death that he knew that he was about to um, to undertake. And he, it was weighing so heavy upon him that, that he swept uh, sw- uh, sweat drops of blood. Um, yet nonetheless, he went willingly for us because he loved us. And all we have to do is believe. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, that that believe is a, a little bit different than just believe with our mind. We have to believe with everything inside of us. Mm-hmm. But all we have to do is believe. He does the rest. It, it, we cannot do any other part of it. And if we could, if I could save myself, I know that I would eventually lose that salvation too. Uh, but mm-hmm. I can't save myself. And thank God, because I can't save myself, I can't lose the salvation that God free, freely gives to me either. Uh, and so it, this is just a, a beautiful scripture. And then, of course, if you keep reading, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, uh, but through him, the world might be saved. Yeah. And so that. Uh, that shows really the nature of, of Christ was yeah. not to come and push our face even further into the dirt, yeah. not to kick us while we were down, but to reach out his hand and say, I'm here. You need help. You are in the dirt. Let me pick you up. So he didn't come here to condemn us. He came here to save us. But don't don't be confused, though, when we say things like that uh, to whoever's listening to this, that he did come to save us. But when he returns, that second coming, he's coming as a victorious judge and king. Absolutely. And so uh, that's why he gives us his scripture. Uh, that's why he made this sacrifice for us so that we could come to this understanding before he comes back as the judge. Absolutely. The next passage I want to read is Romans chapter 5, 6 through 10. And every time I read this, man, it just floors me. And it says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, Will we be saved by his life? And so the truth of that is that in this world, a lot of people wouldn't even sacrifice themselves for a good person. They might ponder it. They might consider it. But for the most part, they wouldn't do it. And they would almost certainly never sacrifice themselves for a bad person. Yet Jesus 
came to us while we were still sinners, while we were still ungodly, while we were still considered enemies of the Father, and he died for us. He died for the sinners. His death was that perfect payment for our sin that through faith we could become reconciled to God. We could be bought back. We could have that relationship mended. Yet we often forget that Jesus did not stay on the cross or in the grave. We talk so much about his his death uh, on the cross, his crucifixion, and him being put in the borrowed tomb. And sometimes we forget to talk about what happens on Sunday when we're uh, explaining the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Jesus didn't just die for us. He also rose for us. So if we're reconciled by his death, we're made right with God by his death. We need to just look at the gravity of the situation and what it means that death didn't hold him because after three days he rose again not only promising us the forgiveness of sins through the shedding of his blood but eternal life in him through the fact that he rose from the grave yeah absolutely you got anything on that brother rob yeah i just want to focus in on one word this word reconcile uh now reconciliation this is the the dictionary definition uh the restoration of a friendly uh, relation. And so uh, in order to restore something, it had to have uh, the, the fullness or the completeness or the, the perfecting, uh, the per- per- perfection uh, at one point. And of course, we know with when God created man, he created us uh, in Adam and Eve, he created us perfect without blemish, without fault, without flaw. Uh, and, and he created us for relation. He, he created us to rule and reign on earth with him, uh, but also um, to walk and to talk with him in the garden. You, you see um, in Genesis 1, uh, 2, and 3 that before the fall, God walks and talks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He had a relationship with them, uh, but because of our sin, we have torn that relationship into two. We, we've cut it up, we've become enemies of God, as, as this passage says. But because of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, we are reconciled, which means we are now restored to being friends of God. Isn't it amazing mm-hmm. that the yes. creator of the universe is my best friend? Mm-hmm. It just gives me chills. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, let's look at Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. And it says, yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. And essentially we see that this is a prophecy saying that Jesus took the beating that we deserved. But Peter quotes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, where it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Mm. Robert Mounts, 
who was born uh, in December 30th, 1921 and died on January 24th, 2019, was an American New Testament scholar and president emeritus of Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington. He said this thing, and it's always stuck with me throughout the years. But this quote is, Christ's death for sin becomes our death to sin. This death was meant to relieve us of such a great debt, not so that we could go on sinning at will and spending as we please, for lack of a better analogy, but he died to relieve us of this debt so that we could continue to walk in his footsteps, his righteousness, and his forgiveness. You have anything to say about that one, Brother Rob? Uh, yeah, I mean, what we have to understand here, uh, and I don't want to get into this too much, but, um, I, you know, this is what I told my congregation last last Sunday. You know, we pray sometimes... Uh, for healing, um, we we I just got some um, some news of, about a family member that I'm very close to that's not good medical news, and I have been praying hard for God to bring physical healing. But what is more miraculous? What what is more amazing? Which one is more of a miracle? For God to heal physical ailments that eventually. Uh, this body is going to die. Um, and so it, what's better, a temporary um, healing of a physical ailment or a permanent eternal healing uh, of an ailment caused by sin and that's going to lead to death and eternal separation from God? And so when Isaiah and, and uh, Peter here are talking about this healing, it's the healing of our, our spirit. It's the healing of our soul. It's forgiveness of sin. It's re- right relationship with God. It's um, having the Father wipe the tears from our eyes, wrap us in a hug, um, greet us with a kiss, uh, and we'll forever be his child. Uh, what an amazing God we serve to know that he has done that. Uh, and the physical healing will come with uh, mm-hmm. the resurrection of the dead. Uh, when he comes and, and the dead in Christ will rise first, we'll rise with perfect bodies that will never experience pain. But in order to receive that, we have to receive the forgiveness of sins that Jesus bore on the cross. Right. Yeah. Well, I have one more passage to read and it's first John chapter four, verse 10 through 11. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. And I believe this sums up exactly how we should celebrate Good Friday. God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us so that we could receive the forgiveness, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, what then should we do? Just as Brother Rob was reading earlier that uh, the disciples, as 
Jesus washed their feet. Simon Peter got up and complained and and made a fuss about it, but then eventually came to terms with what Jesus was talking about. He says something a little bit later on that, that Brother Rob didn't get to, but he said, is a servant greater than the master? And of course, the answer is no, the, the servant is not greater than the master. And so if the master is bending down and washing the feet of the disciples, right. you should also do the same thing. And we see something very big in, in Scripture where we come to this understanding. Christ did not come to this world to be served. Christ came to this world to serve. So the way that we should celebrate Good Friday is loving people and forgiving people and serving people the way that Christ has done for us. Amen. Brother Rob, do you have any last remarks? Yeah, I, I want to read one more passage of Scripture, um, uh, and it, it just ties in so well with, with what you're reading. So this is going to be, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. I want to read 20 first, uh, and then I want to end on... I want to read 21 first, and then I'll end on 20. He made uh, the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So far we've talked about the horrible, agonizing death that Jesus, uh, Jesus went through. I can't imagine it. Uh, but what was worse than that agonizing death being uh, whipped and, and beaten beyond recognition was the fact that the father turned his face away for the first time in all of eternity. And the last time in all of eternity, um, there was something between the father and the son. How is that possible? If he is one, how is it possible for the father to turn his face away, um, it's possible because he didn't just take our sin. He became mm -hmm. our sin. And in becoming our sin, we become his righteousness. Yeah. And so what should that lead us to do? What should that good work, that beautiful work lead us to do? Let's go back and read verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The first thing that I want to say uh, before we end this podcast is this. If, if, you're re if you're listening to this and you have never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if, you, if there's never been a moment where you've decided to follow Jesus, uh, that you've never called upon his name, that you've never um, confessed your sins before God and asked him for his forgiveness, um, then today would be the best day to do that. Today would be a wonderful day in remembering what Jesus did for us to be saved. However, if you have been saved, you are an ambassador of Christ, and as an ambassador of Christ, you should go out in the love of Christ, as First John talks about, and you should make the plead on Christ's behalf to all your family members, your loved ones. How do we spend 168 uh, hours a week for Jesus? By loving as Jesus loved, 
And if we truly love people, we will tell them about the good works that Jesus has done on our behalf, and we will encourage them to be reconciled to God. Awesome. Yes. Well, I want to wish everybody a happy Good Friday. Uh, It's a time to celebrate the great sacrifice that Christ made for us, that we remember that he gave his body to be broken for us yes, and spilt every drop of his blood mm. for the remission of our sins. Yes. And so even though it's a horrible predicament, it was a horrible thing that Jesus had to go through. It's something he willingly and gladly went through because of how much he loves us. Right. And if you're listening to this today, I don't know where you stand and, what you believe, but Jesus loves you and he wants a relationship with you. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, this is the Good Friday to do so. We thank you all so much for joining us here at Faith 168. We're thankful for your support. We're thankful for your prayers. And we just want to remind you uh, that we want to pray for you as well. If there's anything we can can pray for you about, please contact us through Facebook at faith one, six, eight podcast. We'd love to talk to you about those things, or maybe you just have a question for us that might be uh, something we can answer as we do this podcast. We'd love to take those questions as well, but we love you. We thank you. And we will see you next week. But if you will, let's go ahead and let's just end the best way possible in a time of prayer. Brother Rob, Will you pray for us? Absolutely. Father, you are are so good, and your mercies are renewed to us every day. God, your love for us is unending. God, how you love me so much, how you know me completely. You see my sin, my shortcomings, my failures. You know everything about me. And yet you love me so much that you died for me. That you rose again to bring me new life. That in your death, burial, and resurrection, I find the death to my sin, to new life in you, to restore relationship with you. God, we thank you for that love a love that is greater than any other. Your word says that greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, you did that for us. And we say thank you. Some 2,000 years ago, this was not a good day. The father turned his face away. The son was blackened. The sky was dark. The curtain was ripped. And your love was proved. And we are so glad. We're so thankful for your love. God, we pray that you would help us to live lives dedicated to you. 168 hours of every week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Every week has its trials and tribulations, 
and we want to encourage you to seek Christ during those times. We want to pray for you during those times. So look us up on Facebook by typing in Faith 168 Podcast and send us a message. It can be a prayer request or maybe you want us to answer a question that you've been contemplating. Just send us a message. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you again in 168 hours.